Everyone, welcome to part one of a two-week series titled The Power to Change. Uh, my name is Mark Knudsen. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the director here at Unite. And there are a few things in life more frustrating than knowing you need to change, wanting to change, trying to change, but not actually changing. And how do I know? Because I have tried so many times to train, just to change certain things about myself and only hit the same brick wall over and over again, failing time and time again. And I'm sure I'm not the only one here that has experienced this. I know there are many of you guys that are j just came back from our spring break trip called Converge, um, where, you know, there was probably some things there that were revealed to you, maybe some some habits that you had that you were wanting to change, uh, some bad habits like wanting to overcome some addictions or maybe if there was toxic relationships um, or maybe starting new habits um, like just spending more time with God, reading his word, all that stuff. And then there's some in this room who didn't go on Converge and you're thinking the first change you would make is next year you're coming with us, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But... In all seriousness, this message, I believe, is for all of us tonight. As, as often it, it seems in life in general that we desire change in our life, to change something about our life, but not the, we just don't have the power, it feels like, to do it. And so for tonight and the next week, we're going to look at how in Christ we do have the power to change, and then some practical principles that go along with that for the experiencing just to experience ever just more lasting change in our lives. And a lot of this content uh, from this series does come from this book called uh, The Power to Change by Craig Rochelle. So real creative on our part, just took what he had. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but just want to make sure, give him credit. But before we jump into that, I just want to just pray and, and just again, just invite God into this time. So you guys pray with me. Dear Lord, we, we just humbly come before you, and we just thank you for your spirit and your goodness, Lord. And God, I just ask right now that you would just, um, just give me the words, God. Give me the, the confidence that comes from you. Um, God, I believe that you have something you want to, to say tonight, and I pray anything that is not of you, Lord, would just be quickly dismissed. Um, but God, if it is of you, Lord, I pray that it would take root, and it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Okay, so just in case I am the only one here that struggles with trying to change some things in my life, I, I have my good friend Paul from the New Testament who gets me. He says in Romans 7, 15 through 25, he says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing the wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. 
I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, you guys, I think we're good. That's it. No, but how many, how many of us can relate to the struggle that Paul is sharing here? He's saying he keeps doing what he doesn't want to do and what he wants to do, that he's not doing. But there's something really interesting that he says in this verse, and I, I think it's actually the answer to, to why this is happening. So he says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. You see, many of us, we don't understand why we do what we do, whether that be good or bad. But the answer, again, it's right here in this passage. You see, there's a war that is going on in our minds about what we believe about ourselves. Craig Rochelle has this line where he says, you do what you do because of what you think of you. I'll say that again. You do what you do because of what you think of you. And I believe we all have a certain belief about ourselves that dictates what we do. You have on one side God that is, is telling you that you are his child, that you're so unconditionally in love, that you're his masterpiece, that you're forgiven and you are accepted. And then you have this opposing power from the enemy where he suggests the opposite, that you are alone, unworthy of love, you're a failure, you don't measure up, you are rejected. And whichever side you choose to believe about yourself dictates the actions and, and the lens in which you choose to see and experience the world around you. I often refer to this as kind of like a filter in your mind. And to give you guys an example for myself, um, for those that don't know, I have an identical twin brother. And so growing up, I started taking on really this idea because we were constantly compared to. Any twins out there know what that's like? No? Okay. Um, but so I was constantly compared to him, and, and I would often feel in that comparison that I kind of came out less, lesser than him. Um, so that was one thing I started just hearing in my mind is lesser than. And then another thing, I started realizing that I seemed, when it was just me, I felt very insignificant because I didn't get as much attention as I did when I was with my brother. Whenever I was with him, people would be like, oh, you guys are twins, and, and just start talking to us, even if they didn't know us. And so in my mind, I started thinking, like, without my brother, I'm insignificant. And so I'm lesser than insignificant was the message that I started receiving. And it affected how I saw and experienced the world around me. Everything that I'd hear and experience would go through this filter of I'm lesser than and I'm insignificant. And so if somebody was criticizing me, even if it was attempt of constructive criticism, I would take that and it would go through this filter of I'm lesser and insignificant and I'd be like, yep, my mind and my belief about myself agrees with what is being said about me and I would accept that. And then if somebody complimented me, 
it was like I would bring that to this filter of lesser than insignificant, and I'd be like, that doesn't match up, so I'm gonna reject, I'm gonna reject that. And so I tend to only accept the things that match this filter of what I believe about myself, and I tend to reject anything that doesn't match up to that, even if in reality it might be the truth. And so this actually, it plagued my life for many, many years of just thinking like this. Um, and it, it didn't stop at just comparing myself to my brother. It started where I would just compare myself with anybody and everybody, and I would always just somehow feel like I'm lesser than. Um, and this would play out in sports. When I would play sports, I just felt like, oh, everyone's better than me. And, and so I'd go out and play baseball or football in my later years and organize sports, and I would just go with this belief of, like, I'm lesser. And so naturally, I performed lesser. And then I'd be like, see, this confirms what I believe about myself. And if I'm honest, even to this day, there's times that I struggle with this. Like even being up here, I'm thinking like, there are so many more qualified, gifted speakers that could be up here. And there's times I feel like I don't, I don't belong up here. Um, if you guys even knew, I never wanted to be in front of people. Like I was terrified. I never wanted to do like, reports in school in front of the classroom just petrified and I'm like it's just like God to to give me a job where I'm regularly up in front of people it's like what is happening um but sometimes I struggle with this thought of like I don't belong up here and I know the enemy wants me to to believe that that I don't belong up here and I know that I'm not alone in sometimes believing the wrong thing about myself I bet we can go around this room and we would probably hear some pretty horrible things that you guys believe about yourselves. Um, in fact, why don't we just do that for the rest of that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't want to make it about me, you know. Just... But it says, uh, Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. And what does so he is mean? So who we are, our character, shapes our thoughts about ourselves and others. What we think is a reflection of who we are. That, that then shapes our lives. We have no choice but to live out what we think we are. Kind of like what I was doing for sports. I was living out what I was already believing about myself. So what we think within ourselves, we are. We make decisions based on self-identification. James March, a professor at Stanford University, he called this the identity model of decision-making. And it shows that when, when making a choice, we essentially and subconsciously ask ourselves three questions. One, who am I? What kind of situation is this? And what would someone like me do in this situation? And so your self-identity is, is, is the primary reason why you make decisions. And often our identities are an undetected undercurrent pulling us into decisions and behaviors. Sometimes we do sense the, the current influencing us and even blame the influence uh, for our poor choices. You get that example would be like, why does your, your friend keep going from one loser boyfriend to the next loser boyfriend? Ask her. And she'll tell you she doesn't want to. It's just who she is. She has always been that way. She wants a good guy, but always seems to attract the wrong ones. Why does your other friend always struggle with money? Ask him. 
he'll explain to you that he's just not good with money. He doesn't, doesn't want to, but he always spent too much and always been in debt. It's just who he is. Now, that's not the truth of your friends, but if they continue to believe that it, it is true of them, it will impact their lives as if it were true. But if behavior is, is being driven not, or sorry, if their behavior is being driven not by their true God-given identity, but instead by their self-identities. Again, it's you do what you do because of what you think of you. And so if our actions and decisions we make in life are greatly influenced by what we think of ourselves, this is where many of us need to start in a journey of for lasting change. With the who, not the do, we need to work on what we are believing about ourselves before we start the doing part of change. And when I used to struggle, um, I used to struggle with pornography. And I would try so hard to just stop at times. And it would work for like three months or so. And then if I got stressed out or frustrated or angry about a situation or an incident, and maybe something that made me feel um, lesser than or insignificant, something I'd run back to it like, like it was a drug. And I was trying to work on changing what I did instead of changing what I believed about myself. And when it came down to it, that's just behavior modification. And that never lasts. It's like cutting the top of, of a weed and hoping that you killed it, but we all know that it ends up growing back, as, as was the case for me as well. But we get tired, exhausted, whether physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, or all the above, because change is hard. And trying to change is draining. Our problem is it's, it's a deficit of power. And add to the exhaustion or sense of, of shame because we keep settling for less. We feel frustrated and eventually despise our desire to change and our apparent inability to do so. And I can't even tell you guys how many times when New Year's would come around, and my wife could attest to this too, I'm always like, this is the year I'm going to get my six-pack abs back that I haven't seen in 20 years. <laughs> and maybe for some of you, you might have you know, some resolutions where you think, like, I'm going to start reading my Bible every day, and I'm going to stop watching too much TV. Uh, I'm going to quit vaping, as we, we learned a lot of people were, were jumping on that this last week. I'm going to stop hitting snooze so I can get up five minutes earlier instead of being late for, for work or for class. And why do we make these declarations and then fail to follow through? Could it be that we've tried to change what we do and we haven't changed what we think of ourselves? If so, that is a formula for failure. We cannot put do before who, but that's what we tend to do. We decide to change what we do first. It's like treating an illness. You can't deal with the symptoms without dealing with the problem that leads to the symptom. Let's say you decide to get up early and pray every morning. You do for a couple weeks, and then you don't. What happened? Did you stop? Did you stop? You know, wanting to, to pray daily? No, you, 
Did you decide you wanted to end your commitment? No. So why didn't you continue living out the change you wanted? It's because you did not reach down deep and pull out the root. You grabbed only what you could see, but not the real problem underneath the surface. You didn't address the reason why you weren't praying anymore. You see, motivation and willpower, they, they are limited resources that will deplete quickly in our lives. And behavior modification, it doesn't equip you with the power to change. And so the reason that you haven't experienced maybe lasting change is because you, you've tried to alter your, your behavior, what you do, and you haven't worked you know, changing what you think of you. And so scientists who use what's called cybernetics theory say that there are two ways that you can change or try to change. The first, this, they're what they call a first order change, which is behavior modification, which we just talked about. We commit to starting or stopping some action or specific action in our life. And so they say first order change can have some instant results, but the change will never last. And like I said, some of us see that where we're just like, I'm gonna stop doing this, it lasts for like three months and then you kind of fall off the wagon. The second approach, according to cybernetics theory, is second order change, which is conceptual. And the focus is not on acting different, but on thinking different, especially about yourself. And a cybernetics researcher will tell you that second order change is the only kind that lasts. And this isn't new to the Bible. In Romans 12, 2, Paul shares the key to transformation, real, lasting change. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Paul says that you experience transformation not by changing what you do, but by changing the way you think. Because again, you do what you do because of what you think of you. So who you think you are drives your behavior. And since this is true, it's critically important that you and I, we know who we are. And I wonder tonight, do you know who you, the true you is? You see, we tend to define ourselves by what we believe influential people in our lives think about us. Psychologists actually call this looking glass self. We see ourselves through the eyes of others. We let those people define us, but that is not who we are. You are not what your parent, coach, teacher, grandparent, or bully at school said you were or made you feel like. Unless, of course, it was positive things, then, then you are. But we can also define ourselves by our worst sins and habits. So you might think, I'm, I'm fat, I'm too skinny, or I'm an addict, I'm lazy, or I'm a loser. And no, none of that is who you are. But we are tempted to define ourselves by, by really what's the worst in us. And why? Because, like I mentioned earlier, we have a spiritual enemy, like we mentioned. And he is trying to take us out. It says in 1 Peter 5, 8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The weapon he uses against us is deception. And it says in John 8, 44, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father 
of lies. And his primary target is our identity. He knows how essential your self-perception is. And so he lies to you about who you are. That's why when you might not get a job, you're tempted to think like, oh, I'm so pathetic, I, can, I never get a break. You know, where if you, you, you recognize that I didn't read my Bible or pray all week, I'm such a bad Christian. And your spiritual enemy, he will repeatedly just lie about you. He says you're worthless. You will never amount to anything. You will never change. You don't have what it takes. You can never be healthy. You can never be pure. You can never be financially free. Does any of that sound familiar? But you are not who Satan says you are. You are who God says you are. And he offers affirmation, not accusations. There's a saying that Satan knows your name, but calls you by your sin. Where God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. And so, who does God say that we are? And there's actually so much scripture that, that he tells us who we are. And I'm just going to name some of it here. But he says that you are sought after. He says that you are precious in his sight. He says that you are a new creation in Christ. He says that you are not condemned. He says that you are forgiven. He says that you are loved. He says that you are accepted. He says that you are a child of God. He says that you are his treasured possession. He says that you are complete in Christ. And he says that you are chosen. And there's so much more that the scriptures say about who you are in God. And so God said so. This is who you are. And you may think that you've screwed up everything and that you don't, you might think like, you don't get it, Mark. I've made some big mistakes in my life. But the depth of your sin is not greater than God's power to forgive. Your bad decisions or choices in life are not greater than God's power to redeem and restore. You know, this whole last week at our spring break trip, we talked about redemption. And I want to ask you tonight, are you living redeemed? Or are you still holding on to your past? In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, this means that Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So true and lasting change does not come from self-driven, do-your-best behavior modification. No, you change by God-powered spiritual transformation, which happens when you embrace God, the true God-given identity. And the list that we, we just read there about who God says you are, that needs to, to move from being words on the page to being etched in our hearts. And so experiencing true change is about not only understanding your identity, but it's also about believing in your identity. If you've believed a lie about yourself for a long time, then unfortunately it, takes, it might take a little bit longer to start believing what's true in your mind and replacing that filter that we talked about and who God says you are. And if that is you, then I encourage you to ask for God's help. Help him or ask him to help you to see your true self and who you really are, not maybe this lie that you've picked up along the way, this message that you've received, maybe even at a young age. 
that you've made a part of your life. And I've seen this, I've seen this played out in my own life. You see, I found true healing and lasting change in this area of pornography. As I went to a 12-step program for it, this was many, many years ago, and in that group, they had you reflect on your, your past and your life to try to recognize like where it was maybe that you've adopted uh, a certain belief or idea about yourself. And as I was doing this, um, I, was, I was speaking with a friend, and he asked me, because I came up with those, those things, I started realizing, like, I, I realized that I've always saw myself as lesser or, or insignificant. And he's like, whose voice was it? All those years, whose voice was it? And when I thought about it, I was like, it was my voice. And he's like, that's right. Because we tend to believe our voice over anyone else's voice. And so the enemy might accuse you or he's going to suggest a thought of what you should believe about yourself. And then we oftentimes will just take it and we put it in a loop. We just repeat and repeat and we just say it over and over and over again. I'm a failure or I'm alone or I'm unworthy. And I'm sure in a room this size, it's, it's different for everybody. But there's some message that at some point you've received that you took on as if it's part of your identity. And again, you, you do what you do because you think of what you think of you. But here's the beautiful thing. When you replace this filter of, of lies that the enemy might suggest to you, and you put in God's filter and the truth of who you really are, it changes everything. It changes how you see people. It changes how you experience life because you actually see things and people as they were meant to be seen at face value. No longer do you misinterpret what going through a, a lie filter, you don't misinterpret anymore. Instead, you see things are as they are and it allows you to, to see so clearly. And the, the interesting is you don't, you don't reject truth you know, like how I mentioned before, it's like with someone confident, I'd be like, nope, that doesn't match what I, what I believe about myself. So now when you believe the truth and, and who God says you are, when somebody says something that's very damaging or destructing, you hear that and it goes to this filter of truth now and you're like, that doesn't match up with who God says I am. So I'm going to reject that. And then if somebody, you know, notices something about you that is inspiring and they compliment you and you say like, yes, this actually matches up with who God says I am. And so lasting, powerful change starts with who, not do. And so that's the concepts. Now let, let's get practical and see how this approach can change your attempts to change in the future. And I just want to say this too, real quick. A lot of times uh, the change, when we are wanting change in our life, the reason why sometimes it lacks power is because it lacks a spiritual component to it. You know, we think like, oh, I just want to, I just want to be rich or I want to be fit, God. I just want, like I said, going back to my story, I, I just want my six pack back from 2003, right? Um, that's about me just wanting to look good. And it's like God doesn't want me to put my hope in my outside appearance. Like he doesn't want me to, to be affirmed in that. Like, yeah, because you have a six pack ab, 
now your wife thinks you're hot again. And like, she thinks I'm hot anyways, right? With my one pack. Um, um, and so then you think like, okay, how do we add a spiritual component to this? Well, who am I? I'm a child of God and, and, and I'm also a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I have a wife and I have children. And suddenly it becomes different. It's now I want to be healthy so that I can, you know, minister and serve my wife and children and, and every, everyone else and show them the love of Christ. And I can't do that if I'm not healthy or if I'm gone and I'm dead, you know. And so it, it tends to put a different spin on it. And if, and if you have it where it's about God, he's like, yes, I affirm that, and I want that for you as well. And he's going to be a lot more likely to, to help you in that than just saying, like, God, I just want to be ripped so people notice me, you know? Um, another example, you might think, like, I don't, I don't want to gossip anymore, and so you, you try to stop, and it doesn't seem to work. And the reason why, again, it's, it's, it's behavior modification, and if you do make some progress, it, we know that it's not going to last, right? Not until you change the who before the do. And you start recognizing, okay, because, because I'm a believer and, and you know, God, God says that we should love others, like I'm going to, to honor other people and I'm not going to tear them down. Instead, I'm going to build them up. I'm going to speak well of others. And so it changes this idea of like, I just don't want to gossip. And now it's, you're changing the who first. It's because you're a child of God and that you have his love inside of you that you make that change. Uh, another example, let's just say that, that you smoke and you decide to quit. You're on a break at your job and you have a coworker that offers you a cigarette. And you're likely to say, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. And what does that communicate? It communicates that I'm a smoker who's trying to do something else. And that kind of change won't last. It's behavior modification again, not based on identity transformation. And so what should you say? Uh, no thanks, I don't smoke. And that could actually lead to some victory because it starts with your identity. You made it about who you are. Regardless of your, your past behavior, you're saying that you're not a smoker, you're a new creation in Christ, and a smoker is never who you truly were. And it's definitely not who you truly are anymore. And so you can tell your coworker, no thanks, I don't smoke. And you could tell yourself, because again, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a who before do approach to change and with God's help it will work allowing you to change that maybe you've longed for but have never experienced in your life and you may not you may not have related to to really any of the examples that I that I've shared tonight but here's the thing is you can this works for every everything that you have in your life and your struggle whether it be pornography drinking sex unhealthy eating patterns or disorders, start with who, not do. Start changing what you are believing about yourself because, again, you do what you do because of what you think of you. Will you guys pray with me?
Dear Lord, we just thank you so much that you speak truth over each of us, Lord. God, I know in a room this size that there's many people that, that might have different habits or addictions or struggles in their life that they would like freedom from, they would like change, God. And, and I know from experience how frustrating it can be when it feels like you're not making any progress and you're not changing. And so God, I just pray your spirit right now just to, to fill this room, Lord, in a way that you would just help each of us to see so clearly, Lord, who we are in you. God, and that from that, we can begin to change how we think of ourselves, knowing that that is ultimately, Lord, what's gonna lead to the everlasting change that we're looking for. I pray each person here, Lord, would just put a, a truth filter in their mind, God, that it would allow them to see and experience everything around them as it's meant to be seen. Instead of through the broken filters, Lord, with the messages that they've adopted throughout their life, lies from the enemy, Lord, that have said that they are unworthy or a failure, that they're not going to measure up, or any of these things, Lord, that are just not of you. And I rebuke it in the powerful name of Jesus, Lord. I just pray for truth to just reign tonight. Reign in each heart, God, that they would just know who they are in you. And that is with, with that knowledge, Lord, that they begin to see transformation happening in their life, God. I pray for healing. I pray for this change to take root, Lord. And it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being a part of our community opening the word today. We here at Unite challenge you to grow in your relationship with God, to grow in your relationship with others, and to go out and live a Christ-centered life. To learn more about Unite, follow our social media pages or go to our website at mpcc.org unite. God bless. Mm -hmm.